Well, good morning, friends, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you. My name is Kelly S. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and bulimic from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Today's Thursday, February 8, 2024. This is a 7 a.m. Eastern Time Vision for You meeting. Today, we're reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We're in Bill's story. We're on page two, first paragraph there. It says, I took a night law course through that one paragraph ending with constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. We'll be commenting on that one paragraph. So today's readers are 12 steps will be Kathy M, 12 traditions, Joni C. Hillary B will be reading the text for us. Susan SH will be reading page 164 and Martha Z is waiting in the backup. Our newcomer greeter is Loretta M and our second hour host is Ann A. The reference member for yesterday, Wednesday, February 7th, 2024, 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 21111, 21111. And the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 21112, 21112. So our OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We're self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, quote, each group has the one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers, end quote. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. So I will now have Kathy M. read 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Good morning, Kathy. Kathy, press star one. Good morning. This is Kathy M. from Michigan, reading the 12 Steps and Recovered Compulsive Overeater. The 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and moral inventory, searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, 
We try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for allowing me to do service. Well, thank you so much, Kathy M. And I'll now have Joni C. read 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Good morning, Joni. Good morning, Kelly. This is Joni C. Um, gratefully recovered but not cured in Minnesota. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Well, thank you, Joni C. Okay, so here is how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then we'll stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There's no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. So to share, you'll press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star one to mute your phone. So to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Okay, so today we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We are in Bill's story. We're on um, page two, first paragraph there that says, I took a night law course through one paragraph ending with constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. And we'll just be commenting on that one paragraph 
and Hillary B. is going to get us started. Good morning, Hillary. Good morning, Kelly. Thank you for your service. Can I be heard? Yes. Okay. I took a night law course and obtained employment as investigator for a surety company. The drive for success was on. I'd proved to the world I was important. <clears throat> My work took me about Wall Street, and little by little, I became interested in the market. Many people lost money, but some became very rich. Why not I? I studied economics and business as well as law. Potential alcoholic that I was, I nearly failed my law course. At one of the finals, I was too drunk to think or write. Though my drinking was not yet continuous, it disturbed my wife. We had long talks when I would steal her forebodings by telling her that men of genius conceive their best projects when drunk that the most majestic constructions of philosophic thought were so derived from drunks. <laughs> okay, I'm Hillary. I'm a compulsive overeater. Recovered for today. Um, I proved to the world I was important. That's all I ever wanted was to be somebody. So I started college a number of times, like a bunch of times. And um, I always would drop out because it interfered with my true desire, you might say, which was food. And whenever I was in college, whenever I signed up for college, I always did all the work, everything required for a short time like a month and um, I just had no discipline all I wanted to do was eat all I wanted to do was play I had I I didn't want it any making effort was too much and um, though my eating was not yet continuous it was disturbing to some people um interestingly enough it was never disturbing to whatever spouse i happened to be married to at the time it was never disturbing to boyfriends um but that's because i wasn't gaining a lot of weight uh i had a high metabolism and uh I don't really know why. And I learned how to throw up. I learned how to use laxatives. I'm very, very lucky that um, I never practiced those behaviors for long enough for them to damage me. But the food took its toll. That The part that says... Um, I would steal her forebodings by telling her that men of genius can can conceive their best project when drunk. And uh, that's how I thought. Food enabled me to, to make up stories about myself to myself. 
food. Uh, I stole money from my parents when I was living with them, always for food. And I lied, just like, you know, because the first thing to go out the window is honesty. Here, it shows that was Bill. He'd lied to his wife. And I would lie to whoever I had to lie to so that I could look good. Oh, man. Thank you. Thank you, and I pass. Well, thank you for getting us started, Hillary. All right, so we are now going to open up the meeting for sharing. And although we do value your experience, we ask that you limit your sharing to every third day in order that others might share their experience too. So if you share Tuesday or Wednesday on any vision meeting, please allow others the opportunity to share today. Please keep your share to three minutes to allow time for as many people as possible. I'll remind you when time is up. Um, Please give us your first name, last initial, and where you're calling from so we can find you on the members list. Katie G. from Boston. Marilyn G. Katie. Katie. Marilyn. Masto. Reva P. Alex B. from Missouri. Alec. Harlan G. DK from South Bend. Harlan, I gotcha. Reva P. Okay. Gotcha, Reva. Here's who I got because I missed several people. I got Katie G., Harlan G., I think it was Melissa S., Reva P., Alec B. I know there are several others. Who said your name already that I didn't hear? Ann P. Marilyn. Ann P. Ann P. Ann P. P. Marilyn. Gotcha. I think Ann. (laughs) I think that's what you're saying. D.K. from South Bend, Indiana. D.K. Gotcha. All right. Katie G., Harlan, Melissa, Reva, Alec, Ann, and D. We will start that group lineup. So press star one to make sure you're muted. And we'll get started with Katie G., followed by Harlan. Good morning, Katie. Hey, Kelly. Thanks for taking the meeting. This is Katie G., recovered in Boston. What an outstanding paragraph. You know, um, ever since I was a little girl, I wanted to improve to the world I was important. I was a, I was desperate for anyone to recognize me. I was an approval seeker um, because I felt so empty on the inside. And I mean, I can give you countless attempts where, you know, the lie I'm telling myself is if I had what you had, I wouldn't feel the way I feel. This is alcoholism at its best, right? Like, I don't want the life that God is giving me, and I try to change the internal for an external problem. Um, And I I have to tell you that um, although Bill is talking about his drinking, I think that I need to ask myself, where in my life is my thinking still this way? I am... um, I'm a recovered woman today, but how many times if I, if I get separate from God, you know, how many times can I have the drive for power, for control, for approval seeking? I'm a please love me a holic, you know, and, and asking myself, are my behaviors disturbing others? Because I get blocked and thanks be to God for step 10, right? That helps me to recognize 
when I'm disturbed and get reconnected with God because nothing and no one outside of myself can give me that that wholeness, that assurance, that, that love, that peace. <laughs> Sorry, my kids are being loud. Um, that peace and love that only comes from God. And, um, you know, recently I had an experience and um, I was going to church and I um, took on a lot of volunteer positions, some of which I could do and some of which I couldn't, um, but I was blocked. So desperately looking for where I belonged. Okay, baby. I was so desperately looking for where I belonged that I didn't see that I already belonged. Really? <laughs> and so I was able, like with a lot of inventory and a lot of prayer, to see that I was the one that was blocked. I was not accepting myself. I was not connecting with my God. I was a seeking again. And this is the kind of behavior and the thinking that if I don't correct on an immediate basis, eating and using in some way will be a step up from my thinking. And so, you know, I am recovered today. I do not want or crave food and I do so happily, but my thinking is never cured. And I'm just grateful to be doing this another day with all of you. And with that, I pass. Well, thank you, Katie G. Next up, Harlan G., followed by, I think it's Melissa F. Good morning, Thank Harlan. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kelly, for taking the meeting this morning. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I live in Scottsdale, Arizona. When we look at this chapter, one of the things I want to look at is, do I think the way Bill thinks? Do I drink the do I eat the way Bill drinks? And when I look at this paragraph on page two, there's a couple of things here that relate to my life absolutely down the line. The first one being that alcoholism, alcoholism in Bill committed arson to any dream that he could have ever dreamed. And what he's looking at here is he he is in law school. He will pass the law school exams. He will pass the exams, but he will never practice law. He will go into the market. But he's turning in blank books. He cannot think, he cannot write at one of the finals. And this means that alcoholism is taking his dreams, taking his life and altering the direction of his life. Did that happen to me? Absolutely yes. The things I could have been, oh my God, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Now the other thing, and Hillary mentioned this as well in the lead share in her opening, she said that honesty is the first victim of addiction. When addiction is practiced, the first thing to go out the window is the truth. Do I relate to that? You bet that I do. Because from the time I was a child, I could not honestly look at the unbelievable pressure that the world was putting on me to lose weight and still eat Chips Ahoy, still eat pizza, still eat Girl Scout cookies. Uh, I saw some of the uh, drug pushers the other day. It's February, the drug pushers here in Arizona with the Thin Mints and the Tagalongs and all of it are all over the place in their little uniforms. But anyway, though my drinking was not yet continuous, absolutely looking at the progressive nature of the disease because the 
drinking is going to get continuous and it is going to get worse and worse, not better and better. And Bill is lying to Lois. He will still her forebodings by telling her that men of genius, genius, conceive their best projects when drunk, not average projects, best projects when drunk, that the most majestic constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. And that is the delusional thinking, the grandiose thinking that I engaged in from the time I was a child. And the truth, if I looked at it, would have made me sick. I was getting fatter and fatter and fatter. And by the time I was six and seven and eight and nine years old, the unbelievable, unbelievable separation physically, mentally, emotionally from everybody was, was, was devastating. And with that, I will pass. Thanks for your service, Kelly. Thanks, Harlan G. All right, next up is Melissa followed by Reva. Is it Melissa F.? Hey, everyone. It's Melissa S. from Nashville, Tennessee. I really relate to this part about Bill going to um, law school and starting well, but then failing to show up for his exams. I always related with this idea of, you know, always starting things really strong, but not being able to um, finish well because of this addiction. in this alcoholism that just runs rampant. And so even in some of my inventory sponsors have joked with me, um, we called it the next big thing, TBT or something like that, because I would always be launching out on this next big idea that was going to um, make me okay, rescue me. I would have all this enthusiasm and then putter out um, just like with all the diets. And so, I think that we're ambitious. I think Bill was super intelligent, which just means that this disease um, attacks the brightest and the not, you know, from Yale to jail, everyone's affected. And um, that I love how it said it was, had stolen his dreams. And so I think that I just um, relate with this and thinking of this next big idea. Um, but thinking back to God, you know, um, that really it's not the next big idea. It's the smallest next step that keep me abstinent and keep me connected to my higher power. And this idea of, you know, going to your father alone in your closet so no one can see um, just the smallest, humblest next small step is really the biggest thing I can do for my, my recovery today. And with that, I pass. Well, thanks, Melissa. So next up, we have Reva P. followed by Alex B. Good morning, Reva. Good morning. Hi, this is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. Uh, This paragraph is a really painful remember when for me. Um, The first half of the paragraph, you know, the drive for success was on, and I'm going to prove to the world that I'm Fantastic. Um, For me, that's the I, I, I. That's the self-will run riot. Um, Never, ever having any connection with any sense of power. God was not in the picture when it came to my dreams and my ideas of what I needed to do and where I was going. And it's the I, I, I. Um, 
And what a contrast. Thy will um, and align my will with God's. Um, yeah, and, and in order to achieve what I was hoping to achieve, I had to bolster myself with food. Um, I had a power, but the power was the food. That's how I got through those things that I was driven to try to do. Um, and seeing this progression, right? Like, I'm not there yet, but it's already getting progressive. And this business of, you know, the first victim of the disease being the truth. Um, he can't see the truth. He can't see what's happening. And he's rationalizing his need um, and how it's going to make him so brilliant. And I remember, you know, spilling forebodings, like people who are getting scared that something bad's going to happen, people who are concerned about what I'm doing with food. I remember my aunt being really concerned and sort of whispering, you know, behind my back to my mother, my mother being concerned. Um, and I was actually angry at those people. I thought they were jealous, um, you know, when I was in my anorexic phase, um, just totally oblivious to what I was doing and what was happening and how it was just getting worse. And thank you, God, that today I have directions in this book. And if I, you know, put the food down and work the steps and live in steps 10, 11, and 12, you know, at least I might start veering towards those lies, old beliefs. Um, but the difference now is I can, by the grace of God, differentiate the true from the false. And it's sort of like those, um, you know, those warning things in the car when you get out of the lane and it goes beep, 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 you know, do a step 10 and you get like back in the lane, back in alignment with God. Um, so thank you, God, for the ability to see the truth and, and you know, think, behave, speak um, based on that. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Reva P. Next up, we have Alec B. followed by Ann P. Good morning, Alec. Good morning, everyone. This is Alec B, A-L-E-C, B from St. Louis, Missouri, compulsive overeater and restrictor uh, recovered for today. Um, gosh, what a, what a, for me, what a relatable reading. Um, because I, I was raised in exactly the kind of culture uh, that Bill was. My parents were attorneys, uh, are attorneys. Um, I'm now currently in, in graduate school. I've had a successful career, a successful academic career, et cetera. And it, and it took me, um, it was so hard for me to, to concede to my innermost self that I was a compulsive eater. Because everything else said, no, I have to be, quote, unquote, better than that. I can't be like these other people. I can't be in need. I have to control this. And so I tried to control it, right? Months of compulsive, and longer than that, of compulsive eating, compulsive eating, binge eating, et cetera, um, and just trying to control it through restriction, through what I call non-spiritual abstinence, right? Cutting out everything, um, uh, over-exercising, starving. And then going back to that cycle, because yes, I have a physical allergy and I have an obsession of the mind that even if I put the food down, the obsession will bring me back until I allow my relationship with God um, to be healed and to invite me into a freedom of knowing that I'm not in control. That I'm not in control of anything, um, but that the God who knows me by name, who calls me and who loves me, that he's in control and that uh, by just trusting in that, I can really be free. 
And so, yes, I had to look at my life and it it was, I felt so humbled. I felt so ashamed that I had this, um, that my life wasn't perfect, wasn't controllable, wasn't about success. And then what did this program teach me? It taught me that I had to surrender, that I had to lose, that there are parts of my life where I'm not going to succeed on my own, which turns out it's not just the food. It's a lot of things. It also is school. It also is spirituality. It also is social life. It all, it, it's all these areas of my life that, that, illusion, that, that it's an illusion of control and that this program shows me my need and shows me my humanity is actually the place where I'm able to, to, to touch, uh, where God is able to touch my heart. Um, and so I'm so grateful right, by, by working this program, which begins with an acknowledgement of my impotence, acknowledging that my life is ungovernable just because I'm a human being in need and, and that I, I can't control anything, that it starts there, but that by turning my life over and my will over to, the, to this God of my understanding, this God who in my tradition is love um, and who knows me, that, that by doing that, by surrendering, by doing the steps and by committing to this program, uh, I, I can find freedom. And yes, just like Bill, I was super busy. I, I, this has been an incredibly busy year, uh, very occupied. And yet, even though I was afraid of giving the time to this program and I thought I couldn't do it, there wouldn't be time, I wouldn't be able to do the things I need to do by surrendering to this program, by putting it first, God Fine. made the time. God made the time. And so with that, I pass. Alec B. from St. Louis. Thank you. Thanks so much, Alec B. Next up is ANP followed by DK. Good morning, Ann. And press star one. Can't hear you. D, are you available to share? Press star one. D is here. D is here. Okay, go ahead. Thank you, D. All right. Um, I'm DK from South Bend, Indiana. And I could relate to this so totally. Um, I am in recovery um, today. And what I really got was um, I'm working with my sponsor, and she told me that um, the whole idea of the program is to build a relationship with our higher power who I call God. And here Bill said, you know, um, he was out to prove, um, you know, um, and why not I? And, you know, to me that reminded me of myself. Excuse me, I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> um, and it's like edging God out, um, you know, um, and it's it's really it's ego, and that's what it means, edging God out, and that is really – you know, I have to smash that or, you know, because it is um, a, a deeply spiritual program. And then he said, you know, um, he made his best uh, decisions when, well, he, when he was drunk. And I don't know, I think I made my best decisions and here I'm going to the food. And so I really, it teaches me that I have to let go of my ego and practice humility because 
with those two things, I really won't be teachable. And I do want to learn this program. Um, I know it, and I can talk it. But it doesn't do any good if I don't practice it. So thank you for letting me share, and thank you for everyone for doing service. This is Dee from South Bend, Indiana. Kelly, press star one, please. Well, thank you for that. Okay, so we're gonna, I'm gonna tell you guys where we're at. We're gonna take some more names for um, more shares. We're in Bill's story, big book, uh, page two, first paragraph. Starting with, I took a night law course through one paragraph ending with constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. And so if you have shared Tuesday or Wednesday on any meeting, Please step back and let other people share. And who would like to share today on that paragraph? No takers. Amy G. Amy G. Susan A. Susan A. Vasa O. Vasa O. Carolyn S.H. Carolyn S.H. Carol F. Carol F. Dina S. Dina Stephanie F. R. Stephanie R. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I think we'll stop there. I think that's good. Um, Here's our lineup, Amy, Susan, Vasa, Carolyn, Carol, Tina, and Stephanie. Make sure you guys are all muted by pressing star one. We'll get started with Amy G. Good morning, Amy. Hey, Kelly. Thank you so much for your service, and thank you, everyone, for a wonderful meeting. My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive reader from Maryland, and, you know, they say the saying is many of y'all know I love sayings and slogans, but the three D's of the disease denial, delusion, and defiance. And you know, we're starting to hear it in spades. And the reason why I hear it is because I recognize it in myself, right? The the, the delusion that, you know, his greatest, you know, uh imaginings and, you know, the geniuses while drunk, right? The the defiance and the denial. No, I don't have a problem, Lois. I got this, right? The flat-out defiance. Well, if everyone else can achieve, then why not I, right? Regardless of the consequences. And I and I can see how, you know, this is the way I try to live my life as well. And, and how well did it work for Bill? And, and how well did it work for me? Well, if we sneak ahead a paragraph or two, we're going to find out that he says out of the alloy of drink or speculation and drink, I was to forge a weapon that would turn around like a boomerang and shred me to ribbons. And that's exactly what this did to me. You know, I created through my thinking and my beliefs of how the world was supposed to go. And I created my own instruction manual for life based on selfish and self-centeredness and the drive for power, 
popularity and prestige, and it just about killed me. So grateful that this program and the step work where we introspect and we take a look at who we are and what makes us tick to empower us to not constantly trigger those behaviors that then trigger the mental obsessions, that then rationalize the insanity of drinking or eating. And then I find myself standing in front of the refrigerator five bites into a binge wondering how I got there. And then of course, triggering the physical allergy. And there I go in the vicious torture cycle. The mental obsession drives me there and the physical allergy keeps me there. How grateful am I that my way of living didn't work and now I have a new way of living that is so much better. And I'm so grateful. It just took a little work, putting the food down, connecting to God, working these 12 steps, and living in 10, 11, and 12 every day. So grateful for you all and grateful for this meeting that makes the message so clear. Physical allergy, mental obsession. And boy, do I relate to Bill. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Well, thanks, Amy G. Next up, Susan A., then followed by Vasa O. Good morning, Susan. Susan, press star one. Good morning. This is Susan A. from Pennsylvania, Recover Compulsive Eater. Um, and I have to say, like, when I read this paragraph, I don't feel like I directly identify with Bill um, because I didn't feel like at the time I had grandiose ideas. Um, when I was in college, I questioned whether I should even be there. And college was really hard for me. And prior to college, I learned that eating food quelled my uncomfortableness, my anxiety. Um, it was something that I could control that always made me feel better. And when I was in college, I used food, again, to quell these fears, these anxieties, the, the low self-esteem that, you know, I can't do this. But somehow I made it through college and then, you know, proceeded on continuing eating the food, gaining the weight as I'm proceeding through life, doing the, the quote-unquote normal things that life brings to, to so many people, you know, marriage, children. And by the time I was done having children, I had gained 100 pounds. And then my children had disabilities. And literally the only way that I could handle it was by making food that made everyone happy. You know, I baked every single day because baking made everyone happy. They ate the things that I would eat. Um, the mixer. Um, I have one child who's autistic. Standing next to me watching the mixture made my son not, not scream and yell. And then it wasn't until, you know, my children had, like, passed 
that four, five age years of old or years old. And I realized when I was like well over 300 pounds that I may have a problem with food, a.k.a. I was delusional up to this point that I even had a problem. And then just that awareness started coming in that maybe I'm like an alcoholic is with alcohol, that I am with food. And it was that thought that started my my journey. And here I am, 19 and a half years later, you know, Fine. in this program, relying on God. And I am so grateful for that. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks for your share, Susan. And next up is Vasa O, followed by Carolyn S.H. Good morning, Vasa. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Vasa, grateful recovered compulsive reader, calling from uh, poor child Florida. Thank you for your service, Kaylee. And everybody share. Sometimes I feel like I have nothing to share. I already heard it from other people. But anyways, uh, I've been trying to fill the hole, the empty hole that I had in my heart for years even knowing I needed God more than anybody else or my higher power. But I did not know what I didn't know, so I remember hearing my sponsor say, well, set aside everything you know you knew before or you believed. Let's try to do it a little differently this time. And uh, I, had, I lived in another country for 15 years before we came to America. And when I was taking my inventory, the fourth and the fifth step, I remember looking back about my education. Uh, I came from a very small village, and that's when I went to first and second grade. And I remember <clears throat> we had this teacher. He was very obese, and he laid on his desk, you know, most of the time, and the kids were just wild. You know, the girls sat on one side, the boys on the other, and they were throwing pencils and paper all over. It was so crazy. And I remember, and he would give us homework, and I remember going to my father and asking him how to do so. I don't know if I had a learning disability or somehow I just was never thought how to to study, and, and then we did a lot of moves from one place to another to another, and I always felt behind. I felt stupid. I felt dumb. I was not as good as the other children, education, and we were also thought as growing up, if you don't get your education, you're going to be nothing and nobody, mostly for the brothers, and I was the girl. Girl, education was not as important for me. My mother made my mind, you're going to get married, your husband is going to take care of you, and you're going to be responsible to take care of the house, the kids, cooking, cleaning, gardening, whatever. And I wanted to make up because school was hard for me. Even when we came in America, it was a language I didn't know that good. And that I committed myself. I'm going to be the best mother, the best mother, the best wife, the best cleaner, the best gardener of all those things in some way. And I ate through all those things, believe me. Very, very busy, but I always found the time to, like a grazer, like a cow graze here and there, and getting bigger and bigger until I came to OA. And after I came to recovery, I went back to school. I wanted to prove it to myself and my husband, 
I was not that dumb, and I want to be a crown counselor, substance abuse counselor, and I loved it. But I didn't finish all the degree because it, it was too hard. I loved the alcoholism, loved drug addiction, and I decided I have to prove. I'll wrap it up. Thank you. I do not have to prove anything or tempt anybody, and I'm enough. And God is showing me I'm good enough. And I do enough, and I'm okay. Thank you for letting me share. Pass. All right, next up we have Carolyn S.H. followed by Carol S. Good morning, Carolyn. Hi, good morning, Kelly. Thank you for your service. This is Carolyn S.H. from Massachusetts. Um, For me, this paragraph is about, as I identify in, um, about me clinging to my, the image of my education and my, quote, intellect. Um, the, the drive for success was on. Um, I think that was true for me starting in high school. Um, I was born to a, a father who was an intellect an intellectual. And um, I once said to, and, and I actually believed this, Um, I said to my brother that I thought our father was a genius. Like, I really thought he was like Einstein. Um, He he, uh, was a mathematician and a physicist. And, um, you know, decades later, I now see how ill, how very, very ill he was um, and how very ill I am um, and how disease can be mistaken or disguised, if you will, for is genius. Um, and in my case, it, it's, it's a complete um, defense mechanism. And it's a way of, um, I really get a lot out of hearing the sentence, um, when, when addiction is being practiced, honestly, it's the first thing to go, right? Um, and so like, you know, when I was I don't know how old, 16, 17, 18, you know, to honestly, I was going to be a straight A student. I was going to, um, I was going to like look good. I was going to do whatever I had to, to make people think that I was fine. I, everything was fine. Um, and I was the best at everything. Um, and it was really, uh, a vain attempt at, um, uh, avoiding the pain I was living in, um, and food was just a symptom, as we know. Um, in college, dinners were bowls of ice cream and donuts, and um, and I would hole up in the library doing my homework. And um, uh, yeah, it, it, just thinking of it is is, is painful. Um, and there was something else I was going to say. I can't. Oh, and even today, like my thinking is so wrapped up in that world still, like that I can still go there. When I read the, you know, when I hear this sentence, I nearly failed my law course. At one of the finals, I was too drunk to think or write. I think to myself, oh, you're such a putz. Like, like really? Like the final is the most important thing, don't you know? You know, like, um, and, and, it, later, we're going to hear from Bill about, like, he's going to be able to identify that it's self-will run run. Time. Right. That, oh, thank you. Oh, yeah, my timer just went off. 
um, and that the answer is in the steps in, in a relationship with a higher power. So thank you. Thanks, Carolyn. So next up, we have Carol S. followed by Tina S. Carol, star one, please. Can't hear you, Carol. Well, Tina, are you available? Can you hear me? This is Carol. I got you, Carol. Okay, good. Yeah, uh, just a few thoughts. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm I'm pretty smart. Uh, you know, I'm very smart. And, um, you know, as far as this disease goes, that can be a liability because uh, I could always get by uh, in school, even though I was, you know, into the food uh, to a pretty serious degree in high school and college and I don't mean just overeating but also restricting and purging um, you know being very distracted by that but still getting by in my studies and I was having other personal issues there was a lot going wrong in my life Um, and somehow I still managed to get by academically Maybe if I hadn't been so smart and if I had failed out, um, I would have gotten help sooner. Who knows? Anyway, you know, food was always, um, or my eating behaviors were like comfort, like a teddy bears to a child, especially Carol, we lost you. Star one. Carol, star one. Well, okay. So we'll move on. Tina? Hi. Hi, it's Carol again. <laughs> That's so weird. I, yeah, I'm, I'm so, I got this interruption. So I probably don't have much time left. Um, yeah, you still yeah. got a half. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, so, you know, um, I went to, you know, a difficult college, uh, and it was a very um, kind of uh, cold, unwelcoming, not a very nurturing environment. So while I was there, I really turned to the food for comfort. And like I said, I was also having other problems in my life, with just which just compounded everything. Um, and, you know, but... Um, at this point in Bill's life, he had not yet learned that he had a disease. He thought that it was something he could control. And that's the way I was. I thought it was something that through restricting and purging, I could still have a good body. I could still do sports. Um, and thank God I came to OA and I learned that it is, in fact, a disease. It's not my fault, not something I have to control. And I have a higher power who loves me unconditionally, wants me to love my fellow man, women unconditionally, and love myself unconditionally. And that's been one of the greatest lessons I've learned in recovery, just how much love there is around me, because 
I did not grow up with very much love, and I don't blame anybody for that. Everybody around me did the best they could with what they knew how. Um, anyway, That's so nice. it's good. To, okay. Okay, thank you. Good to be here. Thank you. Thanks for your persistence, Carol. All right, next up we have Tina S. followed by Stephanie. Good morning, Tina. Tina, star one. Some days that mute button is just a little more challenging than others. Uh, How about Stephanie? Stephanie, you there? I'm here. This is Stephanie R. All right, Stephanie, it's your turn. All right. Hello, family. Stephanie R. calling from Missouri. Um, I truly related to this paragraph. Ever since I was a very little girl, I I lived in a family that my my father was very very high achiever, and I I saw the things that he was able to do and obtain. And I always said, I don't want anyone to give that to me. I want to be able to do that myself. And so I was a very studious young girl. I I think I was a better student than necessarily extremely smart. I I had great study habits upon degrees and got a doctorate. And with that, um, all the time, my ego kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I I did have a relationship with God, but not the kind of relationship that really guided me. I, I knew God was important in my life, but I thought myself, my ego was more important than God. And with that, all of that studying and all those degrees got me, I don't know, I believe I've been an overeater since I was a very small child, trying to fill up holes that just weren't able to be filled with food. And as I became more successful, my connection with God just became less and less. And it wasn't until I came into uh, OA and did a vision for you that I realized that, you know, those degrees, those those medals, those things that I had that said that I was a worthy human being did nothing for my spirit. And it was only until I understood my relationship with God was so very important that I was able to get some peace and serenity and put those degrees in their right place. Thank you. I was able to get them, but they do not define who I am. God tells me who I am, and that's what I want to present to this world. OA and a vision for you has taught me how to be authentic, not a person who had to be, uh, oh, what am I going to say, just applauded for their success, but someone who is just a child of God doing the best I can one day at a time. And I can do that when I'm in recovery. I can do that with a, a spirit that is a peace and serenity. And with that, I'm so very grateful I was able to share today. And I will say, um, yeah, thank you again. Well, thank you, Stephanie R. Tina, sorry, I guess you're going to have to wait till the second hour or tomorrow. We're about out of time. We only have 30 seconds. I don't think anybody can even unmute in that amount of time, so we'll just move on. So thank you to everybody who shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following our closing. Our share ID for today, which is February 8th, I always have to remember what day it is, 2024, is 21115, 21115. 
So we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Susan S.H., will you please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thank you so much, Kelly, for moderating this great meeting. Uh, I'm Susan S.H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Ohio. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you.